0: I will please ask you to turn in your Bibles to two passages today. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. That's Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, and John 1, verses 6 and 7. I will start by reading from Malachi. This is the inspired Word of God. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And then we will turn to John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. Let's have a short word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you because you have saved us. Thank you for Jesus Christ and his precious blood that cleanses us from all sin, Thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Now we come before you with your word before our eyes, asking you to help us. Lord, we acknowledge we are weak. We acknowledge we lack what it takes to properly understand your word. We need you to work in our hearts. Thank you for Jesus Christ and his work. And we pray in his name. Amen. So, the texts that we have in front of us today are very important because they mark the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. They show us a wonderful promise and also its fulfillment. And we can certainly rejoice because the Lord was faithful to His covenant people. But this meditation will not be mainly about the words that we find in these passages, it will be mainly about the silence that we find in between. You see, when you and I read these words, it's very easy for us to forget that it was a really long time before Malachi's promise was fulfilled. We have just read both passages in less than a minute. We read Malachi's words and did not have to wait a single minute before we could read about John the Baptist's prophetic ministry in the wilderness pointing to the arrival of the promised Messiah. Because of that, because we read promises and don't have to wait years before we can read about their fulfillment, we almost forget that there was a long time of waiting for God's people. I mean, you and I intellectually know that they had to wait, but there is a part of us that just doesn't quite grasp that concept. If you have a chance today, I will challenge you to try to read the whole book of Malachi in one sitting. You'll find that in a sense it's a very sad book. Because you have the Judeans. And they have finally come back to Judah after the exile. But even then the Lord had to reprove them. Because they had become corrupt and formal. They didn't give their full hearts to the Lord. We read that the priests... Offer lame sacrifices. We read that they thought that serving the Lord was weariness. We read that they caused the people to stumble at the law. We read that they didn't keep God's ways. And were partial in the law. We read that there was divorce among the people. The Lord says that the people had wearied him. On top of that, people were robbing God by, by not paying their tithes. People were saying that it is vain to serve God. And they were calling the pride happy. Because of all of this, the Lord announced a new judgment. There would come a day that would burn as an oven. And all the proud and those who did wickedly would be as taboo. Brethren, all of this is very depressing. It's a picture of decay. It's a picture that tells us that God's people had not learned their lesson that well. True, they, they were not engaged in full-blown idolatry, but they were far from serving the Lord with a glad heart nonetheless. It is clear that there, were, there was a widespread state of coldness and dullness to the things of God among the people. There was religion, but such a religion as we the Lord?" For many people, religion was just empty forms, about empty forms. And you start wondering, was this the promise that God had made to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37? And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, all my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Was this a fulfillment? In this sense, the landscape of Malachi's prophecy is very grim. But on the other hand, Malachi's prophecy is full of hope. It tells us about the coming of the Lord. And the Lord would be preceded by a messenger, whom the prophet calls Elijah. Elijah would announce that the time had come when the Lord himself would purge the sons of Levi as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. The Lord would change their hearts. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem would again be pleasant unto God. He would be like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, judging the wicked and purifying his own people. He would be a witness against impenitent sinners. He would save his raiment, the ones who feared the Lord and spoke one to another, those who complained about the wickedness of the nation and trusting God by sheer grace. He would take them. He would make them his. He would turn them into his jewels and spare them as a man spares his son. God would do this by making the son of righteousness arise upon the faithful raiment with healing in his wings. That day, believers would tread down the wicked and the wicked would be like ashes under their feet. That was the day that would be preceded by the coming of Elijah. That's the context where you find Malachi's promise that we just read. These people remember the law of Moses. Cling to my inspired word while you wait for the coming of Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Elijah would come and God would use him to transform the hearts of fathers so that they would be in harmony with their children and the children with their fathers. What a wonderful promise. There was hope. There was a brilliant future for God's people. And then what? What happened then, my brethren? If you only read your Bible, you won't know it all because there was silence for 400 years. Silence. That's a bitter word, isn't it? I am sure many of you have gone through seasons when the Lord seems to be silent. You wait for him to fulfill his promises. But he doesn't seem to be doing it. Bitter seasons are there indeed. But I want you to consider something. If you have experienced what seems to be what silence, I am sure that at worst, that has gone on for several years, maybe even decades, and that seems unbearable. But the Jewish people endured silence, not for some years or decades, but for 400 years. We're talking about several generations here. A son could think of his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfather, and he would find that they all had experienced the same silence that he was experiencing. It was an overwhelming silence. During this time, things did not go well for the youth. We know that religion in Israel didn't improve much. New groups arose seeking purity in religion, but they were soon corrupted. One of them was the Pharisees that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. Politically speaking, Judah faced much turmoil. The Greek empire exercised power over them under Alexander the Great, who sought to spread Greek culture and pagan culture throughout the world. Later, a wicked ruler, known as Antiochus Epiphanes, oppressed the Jewish people in an indescribable manner. He sought to implement pagan worship in Jerusalem and profaned the temple by sacrificing a pig on its most sacred altar. On top of that, he forbade circumcision, Sabbath of servants, and the study of the law. Those godly activities suddenly became capital crimes. So just imagine, imagine how painful that must have been for God's faithful remnant. By God's grace, the Jews defeated Epiphanies in a revolt led by the Maccabees. And later in the year 142 BC, Judah became a free country again. But the silence wasn't over yet. Neither was their suffering over. The freedom only lasted 80 years and Judea was once again conquered this time by the Roman Empire in 63 BC. So when you and I start reading the New Testament, Judah was being ruled by Herod the Great, a tyrannical king who was a descendant of Esau. The Romans we were oppressing the people with heavy taxes and the religious landscape wasn't good at all, as we can clearly see in the pages of the the Gospels. Now, I know this is a lot of information and it it may be difficult to process it all, but here's what I want you to realize. The godly Jews had to endure a 400 year long silence while facing many events that seemed to run contrary to the promises of the Lord. Just look at one example. Malachi 4.3 says, you, ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. But during this period, the wicked seem to tread, tread down the godly, even threatening to destroy Israel's religion. And that seemed to go on forever. Can you imagine the temptations the faithful remnant must have experienced? Oh, I can almost hear the tempter mocking and saying, Are you really going to trust God? Is He really sending a Messiah? Is Elijah really coming? But the remnant kept. Clinging to the Lord, they kept trusting His word, and they kept praying. Let me emphasize that they, they kept praying in the midst of silence. In Luke 2:37, we read about an old widow, Anna, who was part of that remnant. What does the Holy Spirit say about her? He says that she departed not from the temple. But serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. That woman may not have been rich, famous, or influential in a, in a worldly sense, but God almighty paid attention to his daughter's persistent prayers. I am sure there were many women and men like that during the four hundred years of silence. We don't know the names of most of them. But I can guarantee you, dear brethren, that our God knows them personally and they are enjoying him in heaven now. And I am also sure that many of them must have faced ridicule, but their labor was not in vain. Their labor was not in vain. It took 400 years, but the Lord did not forget his promise. As a matter of fact, in the midst of silence, he was preparing the stage to give his most powerful shout in the public ministry of Jesus Christ, the God-man, who was preceded by John the Baptist. There is something I want to mention about John the Baptist. You know that he was given his name by an, an angel. His father was explicitly told to call him John. Have you ever wondered why? I hadn't noticed this before, but that name has a meaning. Do you know what John means? It means Jehovah is a gracious giver. What a name. God would prove that he is a gracious giver by sending his only begotten son into this world to live, die, and rise again for sinners. And his public ministry would be preceded by a, by, by a man called Jehovah is a gracious giver. So here's what I want you to get from all of this. Dear brethren. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know many of you are going through difficult seasons. Times when the Lord seems to be Silent. Some of you are facing sickness. Some of you are facing serious relational problems. Some of you are facing violence. Some of you are facing thoughts leading to despair. All of us are facing heartbreak as we see the world around us and even our own beings in desperate need of revival. And I trust that all of us have prayed about these things. But the Lord seems to remain silent. And that's when the devil comes in. Satan's telling us this just doesn't work. He's telling you and me to stop praying. He's telling us that the silence means that this is all in vain. I have been attacked like this and I am sure many of you must have been attacked in similar ways but my brother, my sister just look at these texts in the midst of silence all Jehovah remains a gracious giver he remains a gracious giver in the midst of silence he is preparing the way to shout in victory and he will honor all his words. All his promises to you and me. My brethren, do you see? He's not leaving us. He will keep sanctifying us. One day he will destroy sin in us and take us to glory. One day he will come back in glory and majesty and will triumph over all his enemies. And all his saints will shout that he is indeed a gracious giver. If you are truly in Christ, you will be there. And in the meanwhile, he has given us great promises about his victory in this world. Look at what he says to his people in Isaiah 54.3. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. God will remain faithful. My brethren, God's silence is not final. Let's keep praying. We are not laboring in vain. Hopefully it won't take 400 years before revival comes. But even if that proved to be the case, our labor would not have been in vain. Amen.